for me, one of the problems I have with writing is I'm a perfectionist, and that perfectionism uh, drives itself over into procrastination. Hey, Dr. Moore. Hey. How are you, brother? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. It's so so great to have you on the show. It's a, it's a real honor, and I know it'll be a blast to talk about writing. So for the people out there listening who don't know who you are, would you mind telling us about yourself, your family, your job? Uh, I'm Russell Moore. I'm uh, a preacher and a writer, and I'm president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Um, and so what I do is to try to equip churches to think through uh, ethical questions, everything from racial reconciliation to abortion to end-of-life questions, those sorts of things, and then to speak uh, from the churches to uh, government and media and and so forth about issues that are of concern. So everything from persecuted church to religious liberty to the the whole gamut of questions. My wife Maria and I have been married now for uh, 22 years, and we have five sons, uh, ranging from age 15 to age four. And I think also very active on social media. So I think did one of them just get their license, or was it the permit? He got his permit, and so we're um, I'm teaching him to drive right now, oh which is <laughs> which is added level of uh, stress in our household. So. <laughs> But Apiachi is a much better driver than I was uh, at that age. So, yeah, I, I remember taking that driver's test, and I'm I'm glad that guy had a brake pedal on his side too. Yeah, absolutely horrible. Okay, so now uh, we know you're writer, speaker, and just a, a wonderful man. What what's something you do for fun? You know, I don't have a lot of um, kind of hobbies. If you think of golf or or that sort of thing. But what is best for me, uh, I've learned, is to get uh, by myself out in the woods and just walk around for a long period of time uh, alone. Um, that's that, that tends to uh, balance me and help me to think and pray better than, than just about anything else. And so that's, that's one of the things that I do. And then, you know, with, with five kids, I'm doing a lot of things with them. And yeah. so, you know, the, the sorts of things that they do. But that's, that's one of the things that I tend to do uh, by myself. And you've I, – I love your writing. When, every time I feel like – I maybe have mentioned you in almost every episode or almost every other episode because I, I just love your writing style. It's so vivid. And it started with the first book I read of yours was Tempted and Tried. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the audiobook of Adopted for Life. And so those are two, and I'm reading Onward right now and, and loving it so much. But what are some of the other books that you've, you've written as well? Well, I've, um, I've written – my doctoral dissertation was published as The Kingdom of Christ, uh, the New Evangelical Perspective. That was kind of an academic uh, work. Um, and then – uh, there was a uh, there, there have been various uh, contributions to other uh, kind of multi-author sorts of books. Uh, uh, Danny Aikens at Theology for the Church, right. for instance. I did the General Revelation and Eschatology uh, chapters in, in there. And then was Adopted for Life was that before or after Tempted and Tried? Adopted for Life was before. Uh, Adopted for Life was one of those things I wrote. Um, I wrote because I was trying to write to someone in my situation that I had been in. 
because when when uh, my wife had come to me and said, you know, I think maybe the Lord is calling us to adopt, I didn't like what my reaction to that showed me about my heart. And so the, the sorts of things that I learned in the process of, of going through the adoption um, the adoption quest with with her and then the things that I learned after the kids arrived, I, I wanted to write a, a essentially a long letter that turned into a book to a guy who was in a similar situation that than the one, than the one I was in. And it turned into it turned into a book. And then Tempted and Tried, that focuses on the temptations of Christ and, and the Gospels and applied to us. So how did that concept come about? Well, the uh, the Tempted and Tried book came uh, really after I had a conversation with a, a student of mine at the time that I mentioned uh, in the book. Uh, he was – he's just a great godly uh, guy, but he was he was thrown and worried about his own assurance – um, and he came to see me and he said, you know, I'm just trying everything. I'm just fighting uh, all of this stuff just all of the time. And I think I think I'm going to hell. And I said, why do you think that? And it, it, it became very clear to me really quickly that he saw this ongoing kind of struggle that he had with temptation as being evidence that he wasn't a Christian. When in fact it was evidence that he was, because uh, what was happening is the Holy Spirit uh, was was enabling him to do battle and to do war. But he had this understanding of what the Christian life must be like for everybody else is this just kind of blissful tranquility. And so I realized, you know, I really identified with him because I think I kind of unintentionally buy into those same assumptions um, a lot of times. And so that's where that that book uh, that book came out of that conversation with how do we understand temptation? uh, What does how do we overcome temptation? uh, What does that look like? That's really where that began. Man, that's a good book. I highly recommend I'll, I'll put a link to Tempted and Tried in all of your books and in the show notes. But there was one question I remember you asked in the book. I think it's in Tempted and Tried. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Where you say, if there is one sin that you could commit and there'd be no consequences, what sin would that be? Yeah. And like, yeah. That's, and I, that's a thing that's going to ruin you or wants to ruin you. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that when we ask ourselves those sorts of honest questions, a lot of times we don't like to do that. I don't like to do that. Because it shows me things about myself that I don't want to know, and, yeah. and sometimes it's easier just not to not to think about those things. But when we don't, then we then we don't know where our our vulnerabilities are going to be. It's really it's really good to to walk into the fight eyes wide open. Yeah, absolutely. And then then onward, your most recent most recent book published by B and H, incredible cover. Won all kinds of awards, writing award and covers awards. Go tell us a little bit about Onward. Well, Onward essentially came out of the um, in explaining to uh, people the vision um, that I have for Christian cultural engagement, the things that I'm I'm concerned about and worried about uh, for the next generation. How do we how do we get the people who identify themselves around the gospel? to be the people who lead the way in engaging the world around them on cultural questions, social questions, and political questions, and, and so forth. Because what concerns me is that gospel 
defined people are also the most resistant often to engaging in those kinds of questions because they don't want to lose the gospel and turn into culture warriors or into political hacks or, or whatever. But the very fact that they have that kind of reluctance is exactly why they ought to be in that space. And so it's, it's kind of like I was talking to a pastor whose wife, one of the things that she does is she spends uh, every uh, Friday and Saturday night in a strip club uh, sharing the gospel and ministering to the women who are, who are working in, in the strip club. Uh, she's the kind of person we want in the strip clubs. If a, if a 22 year old guy comes <laughs> and says, Hey, I want to do uh, evangelism ministry with the, with the women in the strip clubs. No. Yeah. So we, it's, oh, there's kind of an analogy here. The people who are frothing at the mouth to be able to talk about political questions aren't the kind of people you want in that arena. People you want in the arena are people who are thinking first and foremost about the gospel and the mission. And then they're thinking, how do we how do we apply this without turning these things into idols for us? Those are the kind of people we need to we need to have engaged. And so that book was essentially to them here. here, Here's the way that that I think we ought to uh, move forward into the future. And then also, frankly, one of the big issues with Onward was the kind of fear that I was uh, seeing among uh, Christians out there. This is kind of panic and fear. And this was this was a way of saying we really we shouldn't be the people who are scared. Um, and that that sense of being scared translates itself sometimes into this perpetual outrage uh, against lost people in ways that are really counterproductive to our witness. That's good. That's good. Is, is there anything you're working on now that you can tell us about? I'm working on a couple things, but they're in the really, really beginning stages of them. So I don't even have them fully formed (laughs) right now. And right now, the problem is I've got to get – it takes me a lot of time. Uh, It doesn't take me a lot of time to write, but it takes me a long time to kind of marinate and for things to to form uh, in my own mind. And so that's kind of where I am right now with a couple projects. Yeah, Yeah, I got you. But if you're not familiar with – with Dr. Moore's website, you should check that out. ERLC, tons of great articles, especially when things pop up in the culture. You can you can run to the ERLC or to Dr. Moore's blog and find just really helpful articles there for us as well. So, how did you become a writer? Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I was always kind of writing to myself. Um, in terms of journal entries and, and those sorts of things, I can go back and find kind of prayer journals and that sort of thing uh, all the way back to maybe 14 or 15 uh, years old. Um, I'm really glad that I came of age right before blogs and that sort of uh, that sort of social media. I think that would have been really bad for me uh, because I would have been just weighing in on all sorts of things before I should have been and in ways that that I wouldn't want to look back on now. Uh, but I was I was kind of writing internally uh, for for a long time. Uh, and then I started uh, then I started writing just various pieces for, um, you know, student uh, newspaper at Southern Seminary. And uh, it kind of went from there. OK, gotcha. And so as you think about as you became a writer, and I know that you're from, from Mississippi, 
Mm-hmm. And proud Mississippian. I think I, I drove. I was driving to Florida recently, and I saw Wool Market. I think yep. on one of the signs. I thought, hey, that's, that's that. There it is. And so, who has most influenced your writing? I actually think um, that if you know, none of us really know. It's hard. It's hard to kind of do autopsies on ourselves. But I suspect the biggest influence on my writing is probably the King James version of the Bible. Mm. Uh, because I grew up in a church that was KJV only, but not theologically. It was just the only version we knew about. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and so that was, that was the Bible that I was familiar with. And so I think there are, I think there are all sorts of things about the church having a common text and about the text being that, um, having, having that particular cadence and and form to it um i think that that probably shaped me more than anything else now you quote a lot of country music Mm -hmm. and so how has country music influenced some of your writing or does it i'm assuming it does it does does. and i think one of the one of the ways that it does is that um i think there are two genres of music that both um that both deal with the dark side of reality and that's country music and hip hop. Uh, both of them, both of them tend to, to at least try to, um, try to look at the dark side of life, uh, honestly. And what country music tends to do is to transcend, you know, popular music, uh, popular, you know, kind of top 40, yeah. uh, pop music tends to freeze people in adolescence and kind of a, a very hormonal view of love. And it's one of the reasons why um, it's really easy to just, you know, when you're in that uh, falling in love uh, phase, a lot of those songs, they just really speak to that. Mm. Um, but they, they don't deal with the whole life cycle. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and country music does. And, and not just for people who are succeeding, but really for those moments where you're, where you're, you're falling apart. Now that's, that's, Old school country music, the sort of bro country that's out yeah. there right now, uh, does everything that that pop music has always done, except worse, and in a in a really stereotypical kind of way. If you had to tell somebody, so okay, let's say someone just downloaded the new Florida Georgia Line or whatever, and Don't. They, they want to become a writer, what should they do? Uh, stop listening to that. <laughs> that would be the first thing I would say uh, in terms in terms of music. Find um, find musicians who are going to um, speak to you in, in ways in which there is a kind of uh, poetry uh, to it. And so, I mean, for instance, um, Leonard Cohen's new album, uh, "You Want It Darker." Uh, Cohen is. Um, Cohen has a, uh, you know, no pun intended, a really dark view of reality. Uh, but if you listen to his lyrics and you read uh, even some of his, his poetry that he's done, you, you can see what he's trying to do in terms of the way that he reads the world. Uh, listen to people. If you find whatever genre it is that you like, but find the people who are the most uh, poetic um, and, and able to, to be in touch with reality through lyric and through uh, songwriting. So in the in the country music world, uh, for instance, uh, Hank Williams Sr. did that really well. Uh, I'm so lonesome I, I could cry, you know, the, the, the yeah. imagery that he's using. Chris Christopherson 
not a not a great singer uh, at all, but a really good uh, songwriter who's able to. I mean, Sunday morning coming down mm. uh, gives you gives me as somebody who um, I have all sorts of sins and struggles in my life, but I've never had. Um, I've never had a, a drunkenness uh, sort of phase in my life. So I can't really relate to somebody who's waking up after a night of, of uh, drunkenness or, or drug use uh, to face the day. And, and that song really poetically shows you what that's like and, and, and even gives you, even if you haven't been there, a sense of empathy for somebody who's in that situation. Find those writers in, in whatever genre that, that you that you like and that you listen to. Don't force yourself into some genre that you don't like, but find the best of those people who are able to, to do that in that genre. It's really helpful to, I mean, it's fun to talk about music. I know we could sit and we talk about Johnny Cash and I'm so, so helped by all of his stuff, but mm-hmm. it's helpful to see as writers that we are finding material and finding influence and encouragement and grist for the mill all over us, like all around us. And well, the other the other thing that we can learn uh, from musicians is I mean, you mentioned Johnny Cash. Just look at Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash is Johnny Cash was not Johnny Cash his whole career. There were there were times in Johnny Cash's life where his work was not good and was kind of hokey, uh, and it, it's not who we think of. When were those times? Those were the times when he was really trying to be marketable. Yeah. And, and to give people what he thought they wanted to hear. When Johnny Cash was really the Johnny Cash that we all listened to, it's when he was saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in a different direction. And, and I think that's an important lesson to learn as well. That's good. Now that kind of goes in with your writing. I think some of the some of the best of Cash's stuff, and even some of the best uh, hip hop stuff that's out today, especially in Christian hip hop. Some of these guys, it's so vivid. Um, it's very sharp, and it's very prophetic and encouraging. And your your writing keeps that balance so well. It's sharp. It's encouraging. It's prophetic. How did how did that style happen? Um, I don't know. It's, um, I, I think, I think again, if you, um, there was a writer that I, that I read a lot, uh, that when I, I went to his house one day and we were talking and he said, don't you notice that just the right person always comes along at just the right time, just the right conversation happens at just the right time and just the right book comes along at just the right time. And I've certainly found that's true in my own life. When when I look back and, and see, I, I was talking the other day in, in, a, in a speech about being a 15-year-old and going through this, this deep spiritual crisis. But because I had read the Narnia books as a kid, I, I was able to recognize the name C.S. Lewis when I saw it on the spine of a book in the bookstore at the mall. And so I read Mere Christianity. And it was it was so different from uh, all of the other stuff that that I I tended to see from from Christian people, because he seemed to be just telling me the truth. And, you know, talking about uh, talking about reality in ways that really it, it rang true with me. And so that that was a, a big influence was just listening to Lewis, 
who didn't seem to be afraid of uh, whether or not he was talking about things that he ought to be talking about. He, he really seemed to care about me as the 15-year-old who was, who was getting this. And then uh, Frederick Buechner uh, was a big influence on my life because I came across one of his books, uh, A Room Called Remember, a collection of essays, uh, when I was a teenager. And he, he also uh, was able to, to just get at a visceral sort of level. And then I read everything else uh, that he ever that he ever that he ever wrote. And then there was a musician um, uh, that's now become uh, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Card, who I think as a teenager and as a, a young adult, I think I learned how to read the Bible uh, by the way that Mike Card was writing about the Bible. And uh, and then that, I think, changed the way that I saw everything else around me. So I think those were some of the, the influences that were working together. That's really good. It makes me think of when, as you talked about, you know, Lewis not having any fear of writing. And with your writing, especially the things that you the things you tweet, the things that you that you write about, the and the comments that get said about you by uh, politicians, mm-hmm. and that there's just no fear. And that when Paul tells Timothy that we haven't been given a spirit of fear or timidity, and that if we as writers are fearful, we won't say anything with conviction. And if we are fearful, then we also probably won't say anything with kindness either, as you kind of talk about in Onward. I think I'm a very fearful person. Um, I think that fear is one of those things that I have to constantly be battling against. Um, but one of the things that that continues to motivate me is I really do feel like uh, we're being overheard by 15 year old kids who are in the same sort of situation that I was in, wondering, is Christianity really just some sort of cynical means to an end uh, that people that people are using? Or is this uh, is this really something else? Something that connects us back to um, two thousand years of a church that's united to a really crucified, really resurrected yeah. Messiah? And so that's one of the things I have to just constantly be reminding myself that I I don't really know, and I don't think any writer does. You don't know who your audience is, and um, there was a a guy by the name of uh, Albert J. Nock. Um, not somebody I would commend. He's kind of a cranky, curmudgeonly sort of guy uh, in the early part of the 20th century, first half of the 20th century. But he wrote a, an article about that I think is, is right about the remnant, about if you write truthfully uh, and if you speak truthfully, then you are then your audience comes to you. And so don't worry about who's my audience. And and uh, because if, if you do that. Then you're going to start just trying to make those people happy. Uh, instead, just speak honestly and speak speak authentically, and the, the audience kind of comes comes to you in that. I think that's true. I think that's for for anybody who's writing. Yeah, that's good. There was one thing I noticed about your writing is that it seems to be always with the the eschatological trumpet is in the ear, or it's it's tuning up in the background. If if you know Ray Charles has George on his mind, I, I think often it's like it seems like Russ has eschatology on his mind. Mm-hmm. You say in, in onward in the chapter on convictional kindness that we are not the voice of the past 
of the Bible Belt to a post-Christian culture of how good things used to be. We are the voice of the future, of the coming kingdom of God. The message of the kingdom isn't, you kids get off our lawn. The message of the kingdom is, make way for the coming of the Lord. And really, all throughout this chapter, you keep sprinkling in eschatology. And so, how, how does that occur? And why is that important that we write with eschatology in mind? Well, I think it goes back to what you were just talking about a few minutes ago, and that's uh, fear. And uh, John Updike has um, a collection of, of poems that he wrote at the very end of his life called End Point. And uh, one of those very last poems, maybe the last one, I, I, I don't remember, but he's talking about how um, a minister came to see him in the hospital. And he, he said, ministers, those who, um, for whom what they say only makes sense to the terrified. And I think that's exactly right. Uh, the, the Christian message speaks to the sense of terror that we all have and that we uh, sublimate uh, over death and uh, and coming judgment. And so if we're Christians, then that means that the, the whole message of the Bible is one of good news of what it means to be freed from uh, judgment and freed from the curse and freed from from death. Um, in a way that ought to inform everything else that we that we do. And one of the, the problems I think that we all tend to have is we we look at things in the short term. I mean, so for instance, I talked about those prayer journals and things. Uh, one of the things that I'll do is to go back and look at all the things I was worried about at mm. every stage of my life. And it's helpful for me to have those those journals going from, you know, age 14 all the way through uh, to the present, because I realize if I could just go back and talk to my past self, I would say, don't worry about that. That really isn't going to be an issue for you. And it, but you can't see it at the time. I think that's even more true when we realize that our individual lives are part of this huge eternal perspective that's just really difficult for us to be able to see. And so we have to be reminding ourselves of that all the time. So when you see that showing up over and over again in my writing, then what you know is that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying to myself. That, that's, that's what I am, um, that's what I'm deficient in. And so it's what I have to be reminded of. And it is in the, the spirit of the New Testament. I mean, so often, how often Paul tells us our citizenship is in heaven. The Lord's return is at hand. Um, our, the resurrection to come, the day of the Lord, encourage one another until the day draws near. I mean, on and on. I think our writing must be written in, in the bright return of well, Christ and the new earth. And the Old Testament, too. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at, uh, for instance, Genesis uh, ends with Joseph giving to his brothers instructions about his bones, uh, that his bones are to be taken into the, the land of promise. It just ends there. And uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us this is an act of faith. Joseph is looking beyond his coming death to a God who keeps his promises. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's the message from page one all the way through uh, to the end of the Bible. And as I, as I think about your writing, it's, you know, theological, and, but there are a lot of guys who write theology, and it's just not readable for the most people, and I think of my church. 
but your books and your writing uh, is vivid, helpful. And I think of this one page on and onward. You talk about wanting to convey truth and that the gospel commands us to speak. And you say, we want not simply to convey truth claims, but to do so with the northern Galilean accent that makes demons squeal and chains fall. And I, I just talked on a recent episode with, with Dr. Whitney from Southern Seminary, and we talked about how important it is to, okay, when you read a sentence you like, to, to pause and to break down that sentence, pop the hood on that paragraph and go, what did I like about this? Why did it resonate with me? How did he vary sentence structure? Uh, what kind of words did he use? And so when I read that sentence, to do so with the northern Galilean accent that makes demons squeal and chains fall, so different than just saying we want to do so in the way of Christ that conquers Satan, which is true. But you say it in such a, a beautiful and really a word picture kind of way where I am kind of transported to uh, northern Galilee and I'm, I'm seeing chains fall and I'm hearing the clattering and the squealing of demons. So how does your writing, how do you get it there? Is that something you've developed over time or just a knack you've had or? It's not anything that I uh, give any attention to um, really at all. And, and w- what I would say is don't do that. Uh, in terms of um, in terms of breaking down sentences and, and looking at that, I think that I think that that will give to you um, a kind of self consciousness um, as you're as you're writing that isn't isn't going to be helpful to you. Instead, spend enough time with good literature and good poetry um, and, and and good music and other things in a way that you're shaping and forming your imagination. Um, in, in ways that don't have to do with whatever your particular project is. And then that all kind of comes together in you and just comes out. <laughs> and so I, I would say don't really spend a lot of time uh, thinking about how do I put this together. Instead, just just spend a lot of time with imaginative intake Um and then, and then it, it, it just kind of, uh, it, it kind of comes together, um, subconsciously. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I think that's what, what we ought to be aiming for. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. We want, we don't want to have just sterile, uh, parsing of sentences, but the enjoyment and the Christian imagination and developing that, those contours is so good. Well, what are your, just two final questions. What are some of your favorite books on writing? If someone was going to go pick something up, either a, maybe a Stephen King or, or some great literature, what would you recommend? Well, in terms of uh, books on writing, I, I liked uh, Stephen King's book. I liked um, Anne Lamott's uh, book as well. Um, but most of most of what's really been helpful to me in terms of writing has been uh, reading good fiction, uh, reading uh, uh, reading other writers, and then reading. Um, sometimes even reading a good biographies of writers, uh, I think has been helpful that that's been more helpful to me than reading, uh, than reading books on writing. Cause it's really hard to communicate the important stuff about, about writing, especially when, uh, for me, one of the problems I have with writing is I'm a perfectionist and that perfectionism, uh, drives itself over into procrastination. And so, uh, you know, for a long time, I was really worried about the fact that I was 
procrastinating. And then I read someone, and I don't even remember whose book this was, but was talking about how procrastination for a writer is often um, just your subconscious working to kind of put all of this stuff together. Oh, yeah. I remember. This. I, think I think it's really true. Yeah. Uh, some article, my, I think, in New Yorker or the Atlantic or something. Maybe so, yeah. yeah. But it, it's it's really true. And that's, um, you know, sometimes – and this was the same thing with preaching. Uh, people would say, what's your schedule for, for preparing to preach? And it, I found it was really difficult for me to say that uh, to my students because what they're expecting is, okay, Monday – is when I come in and do this and then Tuesday. And that's just not the way that I work. I have to trick myself into, so what I'm doing is I'm thinking all week long about Amos chapter two. And I'm just, I'm interested in Amos chapter two. So I'm reading a bunch of stuff on it. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the things that he's raising there and the, and the kinds of ways that people are, are fighting against that in their own lives and, and so forth. And it's all just kind of bubbling up in there, but I don't actually sit down and write anything out until Sunday morning. Uh, when the adrenaline uh, kicks in. And if I, I found in my case, is it in the case for, for, for everybody or even maybe for most people, but in my case, if I, if I try to write that out before then, uh, then I have to completely redo it because that's just the way it, it works and comes together in my own life. And that's, that's typically the case uh, with writing too. Sometimes I'm delayed on things because you know, providentially, there's just too much going on. But a lot of times it's just because I'm not ready yet. Mm. And, and a lot of, pay attention to that uh, and, and realize that you're not a robot. And if you can just sit down and spit something out without without it working on you uh, in any way, then it's probably not it's probably not that you probably don't have that much to say about that thing. Uh, now, sometimes you can sit down and just write something out, but it's because you've been thinking about that issue or confronting that issue, you know, for maybe for years that you've, you've not had an occasion to write about it. But in terms of just sitting down and just constructing something because you have it assigned to you, that typically doesn't end up to be uh, to be good stuff. So just taking having curiosity and, and letting letting things work on you. Uh, internally, I think is really important. Yeah, that's helpful. Well, Dr. Moore, thank you so much for, for hopping on the show and, and encouraging us on writing. It's, it's been great. It's been helpful to me. So thank you. Oh, it's my honor to be with you. Thank you. Thanks.